playback. Welcome back to Q Playback. This is um, part two of our Slow Dissolve slash Indices special. And with me again is Chris Lynch. Thanks for coming back, Chris. No worries. Thanks for having me back, Chris. A hard um, five minutes off air. <laughs> um, so we've, in the last episode, we've gone through some of um, the progression that you've had over the years through different musical projects, um, largely focusing on improvised um, instrumental music. But there were um, projects that were slightly more singer-songwriter focused. Yep. Um, so before we get onto the new album, um, Suburban Youth, what can you tell us a bit more about the structured songwriting that you um, have done in the past? Yeah, well, I guess that's kind of where it started for me. Mm. Um, I just started with a love of playing playing guitar. Um, yeah, and so uh, I, I think I started playing started playing guitar at university. Mm -hmm. I bumped into a friend, Alan Wasano, on the train, and he said, "Come over and jam." So we'd start jamming, smashing pumpkin songs together. Yeah, yep. um, and I hadn't like picked up the car for, guitar for a long time then, so that kind of just got me in in, in love with playing music again. Um, and then there was a point like maybe 98, 99 where I thought, just try to start writing some songs. Mm -hmm. And so um, from from then on, ever since I wrote my first song, I guess, like you kind of get, you know, addicted to writing. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd always just written full kind of acoustic songs, I guess. Right. Yep. Um, it was always like Broken Flight was, um, you know, that was a, a band where, um, yeah, I wrote everything on acoustic. Um, I did have, an, uh, there were a couple of electric songs, but it was more structured songs. Um, and maybe the improvised stuff started when I started playing a little bit with Tamus Wells. Mm -hmm. So I played on a couple of uh, Tamus's records and toured with him a little bit, but because I was playing electric um, for someone else's music, there was a bit more, um, I don't know, improvised guitar to that, maybe. Mm. Um, and a lot of the music I listened to at that point was improvised, so kind of led naturally into it. And so what were you listening to then? And, and not just, I guess, the improvised music, but even earlier, what um, what songwriters were inspiring you to think, oh, maybe I'll give this a try? Yeah, for the improvised stuff. Um, yeah, because most music I listened to was pretty structured, but there's some bands like Stars at the Lid, where mm -hmm. I listened to you know, a couple of their records and just the way that the music kind of built and then kind of came back down. Um, and uh, the ambient feel to it and the way that kind of just got in your head, I think um, I kind of fell in love with that. Um, and even hearing, you know, like uh, hearing Nathan and Andrew playing live, like they were excellent improvisers, mm. I thought. And um, and so I, I started to kind of get into the into the, that kind of field then, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um, were bands like Godspeed You, Black Emperor around in the background at all? Or? Yeah, no, they were, yep. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to Lift Your Skinny Fists for the first time yeah. back in the early 2000s. And, yeah, I think, um, yeah, there was always a love for that music, but my writing had always kind of stayed structured at that mm. point, I think, until, yeah, until Slow Dissolve, really, when we, we all came together to try to, you know, do something a bit different. Mm. Yeah. And on the sonic side of things, um, obviously a lot of these, I guess, um, post-rock ambient bands, they're quite massive sounds and mm. there's quite a lot of members in these groups. But you're out here doing it by yourself, on, especially on this new release. Yeah. Um, so give us a little bit of an insight into your process and also the equipment um, and how that sort of plays into your composition and, 
um, sparking your ideas. Yeah. Um, so th- this was probably a project started kind of within the um, the lockdowns as well, like Nathan's side project. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that that year 2020, like I, I just remember it was quite a busy year because um, I was you know, I was lucky enough to continue to be able to work during that time. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of other people weren't. Um, and so I, I was blessed in that sense. But then um, I worked pretty hard that year mm-hmm. and and was burnt out by the end of it. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I remember actually going to hospital thinking I was have a heart attack. <laughs> and um, But it was just burnout and tired from just a, a busy year. And mm. also it was just the impact of, um, I guess, um, social isolation as well. Mm. And, and, and part of my job was trying to, you know, still connect people together. I was doing a bit youth work in Geelong. So, mm. um, you know, for the, for the church I was working at. And so that um, kind of, tired me out I guess in the end and after it when when I kind of you know tried to work out what had happened I realized I needed to spend more time doing the things that I loved and doing things creatively and looking after myself a bit better mm-hmm. um, and so I decided at that point to to write an album yeah. and I, I set some parameters around it so in terms of the equipment um, I had a certain number of kind of guitar pedals at that point that I was enjoying and trying to work through and so I, I tried to keep the sound to that, mm-hmm. uh, to those pedals, and and, that, had, and that's uh, limiting yeah. uh, as part of the creative process was something we were sort of alluding to earlier, yep. where yep. if you can do things over and over and over and over, trying to get things perfect, you might actually just be destroying yeah. the, the the thing that gives you joy to begin with. Yeah. Uh, so you've limited yourself to a few. For all the, the tech nerds out there, take us through your rig. Oh uh, yeah, so it's I I kind of had your standard pedals. I had you know some reverb delay pedals, um, some distortion pedals, which I didn't it didn't really use them on. It's hard to kind of fit them into a solo <laughs> record, mm. I guess. But there were some you know moments where it kind of where the music got bigger, and in the end, I added some drums and and bass to uh, three of the songs on the albums because mm. I felt like it needed it. Um, but my process was. Uh, I had a two weeks holidays and it was kind of during a, a lockdown period where it's like, what, what are you doing two weeks holidays when you're stuck in your house, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and my kids were on holidays too. So I had some good family time, but but I decided every day for those two weeks, I was going to write a song. And so wow. at the end of two weeks, I had, I'd have 14 songs. Um, and so some of the songs were... You know, I'd just go into this into my little studio at that point and I'd like 10 minutes. So I just played something and whatever came out, that was the song. Mm. Um, and some of those ended up being actually working quite well. Some were, weren't that great. Um, but that was part of the process, I guess. Mm. Um, there were other days where I could spend a couple of hours in there so I could try to work at a particular sound. And it was based on just, just playing and seeing what happened. Mm. Um, and so... Yeah, after that that two week period, I had fourteen songs. I kind of cut that down to five that I thought worked really well. Yeah, and then I just repeated that process. Did another fourteen days, came back mm-hmm. with another um, five or so, and tried to to shape shape an album out of that. And so having that time restriction and also just keeping keeping to the gear I had. I mean, it's too easy to you know look online and see how many pedals are coming out. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, now. I guess going back to what um, was happening during like lockdown for, mm. um, so we both have um, 
I guess, people facing jobs um, and their environments of constant need. Mm. Um, So I'm interested in how you found the creative process to be restorative. And that was the first thing that you really chose as making space for yourself after um, the experience of you know, coming close to burnout. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that's great, Chris. I think it was actually in that choice to do it. Um, I thought at the start of lockdown, lots of time, I'm going to be able to write heaps of songs mm. and yet nothing happened just because I guess when you're feeling drained, you don't, mm. you don't want to come and do, you know, the last thing I want to do was try to pick up a guitar and try to then exert more of myself into it. Mm. Um, but I, but I think, um, yeah, after that kind of process of kind of burning out, um, it, it just brought joy back to, to music, I think, and mm. to not see it as, um, or maybe there was a bit of pressure put on at the start of that to go, oh, I can now write songs. Mm. And then you've got the pressure to do it. And then when you don't do it, it's kind of, yeah, that, that can kind of get to you, I think. Uh, so actually then just choosing to go, well, actually, music is something I enjoy. I'm going to lock out time to do it. And yeah, it was was restorative, I think, and it helped balance things in life. It gave mm. me more energy to to work. Mm. Yeah, oh, excellent. And for you, um, we've talked a little bit about first recording experiences, yep. but when were you first inspired just to make music or sing or write? Yeah, I reckon there was there were a few people who kind of contributed to that for me. Mm. Um, I think so. As I said before, when I was playing with Al, Alan, you know, we just kind of jam songs mm. together, and that was really fun. Um, but the first person I kind of met who I think wrote songs was probably Amanthe, I think. Right. Um, and at that time, my wife, Amanthe, well, now wife, yep. uh, she was playing in a few bands, and she'd always write songs. And I remember we met in 1998, so at university at Deakin, mm. and um, and we'd often kind of come to university and, and kind of bring our guitars along and jam. Nice. And I remember her talking about songs that she'd written, and I thought, oh, I could give that a go. Um, and so I, I tried to start writing some songs from that point, I think. Um, I remember I'd keep a journal of all the songs I wrote, and so I've, I have wrote uh, 100 songs wow. in my first kind yeah. of couple of years, and as I look back, like, they're not good songs, like, they're terrible <laughs> songs. But it, but it tells you something about that process. Like, yeah. when you first start writing, you're not going to be great, or yeah. some people are, but, but it's not perfect, and you kind of slowly... As you listen to more music and as you write more music, you work out your style and and how how music works, I guess. Mm. And then, yeah, yeah, and and your strengths and weaknesses. And, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on the new album, um, Suburban Youth, Abandoned Lots is the only track that has vocals on it. It is, yeah. Um, was that an organic happening or was that a um, deliberate choice? Yeah, completely organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as I wrote the song, like if I, um, as because the, the first three minutes of it is all kind of just that swell of um, the repeated guitar chords. Mm. Um, but at the end, um, as it cut, um, yeah, it just kind of organically happened. And I think there's something I like about that to, to finish off the album like the rest of it's all just instrumental and mm. kind of loops going over the top of each other but but it was it was kind of funny coming back to the last minute is just kind of singer songwriter really it you know? is, yeah. yeah um there's no effects on the guitar there's it's just straight electric guitar mm-hmm. no reverb no nothing 
um, and just some vocals. Yeah. That, for my money, it almost gives... Uh, it's like the post-credit scene that gives a little bit of context to the rest of the album. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think on repeat listening, um, yeah, it creates a little bit more of an insight, um, a little bit of a, a peek through the keyhole into the atmosphere of the album. Yeah, well, I could tell you that when when I wrote the album over that two-week period, just before that, I'd been to my parents to visit, uh, see how they're going. Like, my dad's now in aged care, so he's not, not doing that well. But um, but at that point, I went back, back home to see, you know, and walked around the neighbourhood. But it's just weird going back to where you grew up mm. and just seeing how everything changes. And there were, you know, like my mate's house down the road where we used to play cricket. Like, it's now an abandoned house and there's no one living there and there's, you know, houses that need a bit of work done to them. Mm. Um, most most of the most of my friends obviously moved out. Mm. Um, and so it's just their parents still living there. There's no kids around. So it feels like it's a completely different place. And so I think in some ways the album's a reflection mm. on that and especially that song, just realizing, yeah, where we kind of where you grow up doesn't it doesn't stay mm. the same. I can't Things remember change. the poet but um, what Somebody once said, um, you can't go home again. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, completely different. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so for a lot of this album, um, there's sort of beautiful swelling guitar and a couple of tracks. Um, we get some drums and bass coming in. Yep. And it almost veers a little bit more into a Mogwai kind of um, post-rock feel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> once again, was that just organic or um, did you think... This is really where these ones are going to go. Yeah, I, I think again, organic. Like there were songs that I thought about cutting because I, I felt like they needed something extra. Mm. And the the I guess the idea behind the album initially was just that it was just going to be all in one take. Right. Um, and so I just record one song, just one take done. Next song. Yeah. Um, and then as I got to the mixing stage, I think I was even just sitting down with you, Chris. And, and realising actually there's some parts in there that would be nice to separate in the mix, mm. but you couldn't do that when it was just like the one yeah. take of the song. Um, but that was the initial idea behind it. And then um, as it kind of, you know, as as I cut down particular songs and and found the 10 that kind of worked together, yeah, there are a couple that just needed that little bit extra. Yeah. Um, and then there was also the temptation to go back in and do some overdubs then and, you know, make those sections bigger. And But I'd... I'd I tried to stay away from that. I wanted it mm. so that at least my guitar part could just be done all live. Yep. Um, and yeah, drums and bass. Yeah. Bring people in for that. Uh, well, I, I love them. They sound great. So um, well done. To, um, so who was it that collaborated on those tracks with you? Yeah. So it's my friend Nathan Dingle. He he recorded the drums for me. He did an excellent job, and he's a he's a great drummer. Um, previously, I had a friend, Joe Duty, who recorded the drums, and he like he played them excellently, except I was recording the drums, unfortunately, right. for him. And so I had a couple of mics set up to the drums, but, um, yeah, it's not my skill set, clearly. Um, and another friend, Paul Clark, played bass, but again, I hadn't recorded that very well. And so Nathan just had a, a friend who he had, I think he had uh, Amos Winter, who was one of his friends. He was recording bass for another project Nathan was doing. So Nathan said, well, do you want to just put some bass down on these tracks? And so he did. And so, yeah, there, that's how the, the drum and bass kind of came onto it. Mm. Yeah. Now, um, this music would be you know, fairly well classified in instrumental indie. Um, and it's fairly evocative 
um, emotional atmospheric music. Um, would um, people be surprised to know what you do with your um, your day job um, compared with the tone of the music, do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, like, and within the music, I think there's, a, um, you know, there's, there's, how, how do you put it? It's, it's clearly very kind of like there's sad moments you can, can feel depressing but I think there's hope within the music too like mm. within the like there's there's melody within the music that's trying to um, show that hope I think mm. yeah yeah and I, and I think it there, there is a sense where like I think most people kind of have an acknowledgement this world's pretty messed up and so mm. um, you know there's there's sadness within the music like there is in life but I think there's always hope and do you think that, that maybe the expansive nature of the sound that you're creating is almost emblematic of trying to wrestle with something that's bigger than yourself? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Uh, so during this um, recording for yourself, yeah. um, did you have to innovate in any particular ways that um, you know pushed you out of your comfort zone or did you really stay to a, fa a fairly strict version of... Um, one guitar, one amp, um, how did the process Oh uh, Yeah, go? so I had two amps, so yep. I was playing it in stereo. Um, and there was nothing really that pushed me out of my comfort zone because I was kind of enjoying what I was mm. like. Oh, let me let me rephrase that. Let me think about that again, Chris. You can, <laughs> you can edit this bit too. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think there were things that put me out of my comfort zone but because it was just me in the studio. Mm. I didn't feel it as much. I think if there were other people there, if there was someone who was hitting record, maybe I would have felt it. But mm. because it was just me in the studio, I kind of felt like I could do what I wanted. Mm. And so I, I could take risks knowing that it was just me hearing the risk. Yeah. Um, and so if it's stuffed up, delete, next track. Um, and, and so the thing I've actually realised is there's there's maybe two or three tracks where they were fully improvised in the studio. Mm. And then to record them, I had to kind of work out how to then play it again to record it. Um, and that was difficult to do because mm. because they were improvised to try to then recreate it to record it properly was quite hard. And so I think live, there's, yeah, there's yeah, maybe two or three tracks that'll be pretty tricky to pull off live just because of getting the right timing on the loops or mm. um, getting the um, right feel for the song, I think. And yeah. in the creative process, did you visualise stories? Was there um, um, almost a scripting for these soundtracks or was it purely just the music? Uh, when you listen to them now, do, do you have yeah, yeah. ideas uh, evoked by the pieces of music? Or? Yeah, there, there'd be a couple of tracks, I think. Like there's one in particular, there's a song to remember. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of there's just a, a swell that comes in and then there's different melodies that kind of overlap within it. But at the end, everything starts to kind of crackle and kind of fall apart, mm. kind of like, you know, with tape yep. where, you know, when you have to with the cassettes, when they'd kind of get <laughs> destroyed a bit. Um, and that was, I guess that's a little reflection on, you know, even going back to see my parents and seeing my dad who's, who's now um, suffering from dementia. And mm. so he's kind of going downhill quite fast, but... But I think that was a reflection on that, you know, mm. like to see someone who was quite a robust man who was able to, 
you know, for his whole life he could look after himself. He was an Ironman triathlete, so he wow. did. Yep. I think he did fifteen Ironman triathlons. Goodness. That's yeah. that's massive. And for him now to go through um, this whole process of dementia, then not being able to look after himself, not mm. be able to remember things, it's quite a difficult thing for him, and it's yeah. difficult for us to watch. Um, but I guess that piece was a reflection on that. That you know, as kind of things start fading away he's still the same person that he was and he's still the same dad that i love but yeah you kind of yeah it's life it is so december is the first single um where was this where did this come in the writing process was it one of the early tracks one of the late tracks or it was one of the earliest yep. tracks and it was one that i had like before i wrote it i didn't go in with any idea for it um i just started with with a sound and then started layering over the top of it. Um, and somehow within the, the loop, it just kind of worked naturally. I didn't kind of time it to for the first and second parts kind of match. It just did, so that was kind of nice. Um, but I feel like it's a good representation of the album, mm. um, just in the way that it builds and the, in the different sounds that come out of it. Um, yeah, the, the different kind of interplay between the different guitar lines within it. Mm. Um, and so I felt like a natural single. Um, I'd initially thought about cutting it down for um, maybe for better chance of radio play yeah. or, you know, so I was going to cut try to cut it to three and a half minutes, but mm. but in the end I left it, I think it's five and a half minutes. Mm. Um, yeah, because I, I think, yeah, why cut it? Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of bands that do trade in atmosphere, like it's very hard to get a song under six minutes really. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. And yeah, when I did cut it shorter, it just felt like it was under, underselling yeah. it. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with having two different guitar parts in mind, is that potentially going to make doing um, a launch for the album live difficult? For some, for some tracks, yeah. Mm. I think that track in particular, December, um, I've had to work out how to kind of play that one live. Yeah. Um, and there's, a, yeah, like I said before, there's another couple that will take a bit of work. But I think, you know, it'll just be practice, make sure I can get it yeah. get it right, yeah. Excellent. Yep. You, w you wouldn't think about bringing in a band for the launch? No, I think part of the, the reason behind um, the project was to try to do it by myself and to be able to improvise and do it live. Mm -hmm. um, I probably will bring in drum and bass just for those three tracks. Yep. Um, but I, th I think that'll be it. But where that goes future, I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah. So before we finish today, Chris, um, was there a few things you want to give a plug? Obviously, the new album, the best place to um, support independent artists is on Bandcamp. So uh, Indices on Bandcamp. We are, yes. Yeah. Yep. I am, we are. We are. How that works. <laughs> um, and you have some social media for the band? And... Yeah, so at the moment, it's just an Instagram page for Indices. indices. Um, so you can check that out. I think it's Indices or Indices Band. Yep. Yep. I'll put all the links in the podcast description. Yep. And it's just streaming everywhere. It streams. I, I distributed through TuneCore, so okay. kind of gets to all the streaming platforms there. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so thanks again, Chris. Um, and as always, remember there is magic in the mystery of not quite knowing what you're doing. Thanks, everyone. Cue playback.